That's for all you guys, the Uday Paul team, that we don't even know what time it is in the world anywhere. Um, well, thank you. It's nice to be here on Sunday morning somewhere. Um, and I was I got a text already when we were coming from the airport that there's a couple announcements that were forgotten earlier in the service. One is to make sure that you read this uh, letter from the elders about a mortgage refinancing because we need a congregational vote on it. And so there's too many words there for me to read today, but uh, I'm sure I will soon. And I think next week there's a, a something about alerting you to something taking place next week. And also after church today there's a Tuni lunch. Is that correct? There you go. That's what... Uh, so, um, let me let me start by reading scripture because I don't think you've read scripture this morning, have you? Okay, why don't we go to Isaiah chapter 58. Sorry that I'm using my phone, but I actually thought that we would make it and then we were told we wouldn't make it and then we basically did. So, uh, I'm, I'm going from phone and scrawled notes, but we're going to, re- going to read from Isaiah chapter 58, just verses 6 through 9. Is not this the fast that I chose, that I choose, to loose the, the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can recall one other occasion so far in my ministry, I suppose you would call it, or in my career as a someone who speaks regularly, where I fell asleep in my own sermon. Um, I can recall many occasions when some of you did, but, um, but it was not altogether unlike this. I didn't travel from halfway around the world, but, uh, I'd been at a college retreat speaking all weekend. And then I was scheduled to speak Sunday night here in Vancouver at another event. And I showed up and, had a sermon put together and knew what I was going to do and started preaching and and first few minutes were were fine and then about 15 minutes in I realized I looked down at my notes and thought I have no idea what I just said for the last 10 minutes so if I fall asleep somebody just you know (laughs) wake me up somehow I have this feeling that I'm supposed to bring you greetings from Nepal and China and wherever else we were and basically the greeting that somewhere in the world it's not raining. Um, we had a lot of nice weather. So it is possible. Because I heard that here it's been kind of like this a lot. Is that true? All right, well. Um, 
And we're also in the middle of Lent, which we kind of lost track of that when we were away for two and a half weeks because we were so focused on Himalayan life and the many great parts of that ministry. But we are, in terms of the larger Christian church, in the middle of this journey towards Easter. So all I want to do this morning is basically give you a few pictures from our trip, but keeping in mind that uh, you came here to come to church and you weren't on the Nepal trip. And so not just to relive moments, but to give you a little bit of of some pictures, but uh, hopefully to fit that into a bigger picture of some Lenten considerations for us. So the first thing that uh, I want to think about and for us to think about together is this Direction in Lent to give something up. And there's a wide range of practices in this regard, of course. And if you grew up in an Anglican church or a Catholic church or other denominations as well, not so much Plymouth Brethren, not so much Baptist in my experience, but you would often give something up at Lent. And the reason for that is to focus your attention towards the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not intended to achieve anything spiritually. It's not intended to make you somehow more acceptable to God. It's to act as a reminder. So as I was thinking about that, and of course with us being away over the past couple of weeks in a developing country, uh, depending on how you would describe these places, some would say third world country, uh, there's a lot of giving up, even when you go there just as tourists, as people you know, volunteering to help out. Um, Rick Calhoun, who's still traveling, he's on a plane right now, he and Edward. They're going to Myanmar, and they're all over the place still, so they'll come back and join us uh, soon. But uh, one of the things that happened, I roomed with Rick a lot, and one of the things that happens when you travel, you know, especially when you go somewhere far away that's not Western, like here, is you ask yourself a question, I wonder what the bathroom's going to be like. (laughs) And usually it's a bit of a letdown. And so uh, some people on our trip experienced for the... So, excuse, I just no filter when I'm this tired, so just, you know, you filter up. But some people, and, you know, when you're traveling for a couple of weeks and you're facing these things, you, you just, you're able to talk about it a lot more. So some people, most people on our trip experience squat toilets for the first time in their lives. And I remember, I recall on one occasion, Rick, uh, the room that we got in uh, Pokhara, which was nice, the guest house where we stayed. Rick um, came out of the room one morning, I think I was already at breakfast or something, and he came walking in all chipper and happy, and he said, our shower's really nice, just like that. But that's a lie. <laughs> it's not a nice shower. I'm sorry to the people who run the, there's, it's a It's a pipe on a wall, and water dribbles out of it, and the toilet's beside it. And there's a drain there. There's nothing nice about it. What he meant was, it worked, right? He could rinse himself off, take a while to get enough water. But everywhere you go on a trip like this, you're faced with this. And those who are on the team would know this. Because while we're kind of giving up the comforts and the luxuries of home, we're also, in many ways, nowhere near giving up what people who just live there have to face every day. We're in greater comfort than they are, and we're just visiting. And that can be a bit of a spiritual exercise in our lives, in this world where the world, and I can accept this from the world, I I struggle with it in Christian faith, where we are told that what is needed is more, all the time more. 
More, more, more. So in terms of secular culture, just the world that we live in, of course that would be material comfort, wealth, whatever it is, uh, accumulation of goods. But there's a strain in the Christian faith that has popped up. And it, it comes up time and again in, in Christian theology, or I would say kind of a heresy, where the Christian faith itself gets identified as almost always having to have more. When what Lent does, and sometimes a trip like this can do, is open our eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ took the opposite way. He gave up. Even equality with God. And so for us as Christians to consider, and if it takes something like a trip, or takes something like a Lenten practice, to think, wait a minute, what does it mean that I become less, not more? So our eyes were open to that. Of course, scripturally, the the way that this is accounted for often is when Jesus speaks in the Beatitudes and the version in Luke, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, and and those who were were on the team in Nepal, we're going to get images of this as I read these next things. But the rest of you can, you know, you've had some maybe similar experiences or you can hold your own images, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said this, Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and defame you. This is a way of becoming less, not more. He also pronounced woes. And the woes are like a contrast to these blessings. Woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are full now. Woe to those who are laughing now. Woe to those who are spoken well of by the world. Woe to those who have settled in the present as if everything in the world were okay. That's our Lord, the one who emptied himself. And so for us, the question could simply be, in in regards to this point, what does it mean for me to become less, not more? What does it mean in your family? What does it mean in your identity in this culture? You can all ask it every day. You don't have to go to a developing country to ask this. But the developing country will force you to ask these things if you open your eyes. So we had all of that. And you'll get those stories when the, when the team reports. And by the way, it was a fantastic team. The, the teens, the youth, the kids, whatever, you know, like, were just fantastic. There was very little drama on, on the, I think. Isn't that true to say? It is true. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> Amen. Um, and people got along really well and did a great job. But I can guarantee you, if you talk to them for any period of time, they're going to tell you a shower story or a toilet story or like one of these third-world stories or how bumpy the road was in Kathmandu. My wife, Jennifer, does not drive fast. She's not like a, you know, race like some people here. Anyway, anyway. Um, but on the way from the airport to here was the fastest I've gone in a car in over two weeks. B- 
because everywhere we were, you can't go over 30 kilometers an hour or the car would just explode (laughs) because it's nothing but bumps. But then something else that I kind of held on the trip, and we didn't have time, obviously, to get pictures together, but we'll show them to you when we give a more complete report, is something that has a, a different feel to it than those last verses that I read. Because it's something that you experience more as a merciful thing, a beautiful thing. The 23rd Psalm. You know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd. We stayed in a place called Green Pastures. The hospital, there's a hospital there called Green Pastures. And we stayed at a, at a guest house there in, in Pokhara. Not far from where Himalayan life is. You know the 23rd Psalm where it says, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The idea here is that there is no desire for life apart from God and his presence. And so if, like us, over the past couple of weeks, those who have been blessed to see something as spectacular as the Himalayas, and then you hold this thing in your mind, what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? So the trek was beyond description in many ways. And the grandeur of those mountains, if you take, if you go to the top of Whistler Peak, okay, some of you have been up there, you go to the top of Whistler Peak, but you bring Grouse Mountain with you and put it on top of Whistler, and then climb Grouse Mountain, that's how high we were when we were standing, looking at mountains that seemed to just tower over us like this still wave. And you're in awe. And when I stand there and I look at those mountains and I say in my faith as a prayer, Lord God, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I am blessed to dwell in your house forever. Not only in front of those mountains, but on the rest of the trip as well, where we saw some very difficult things. We're told in our scripture that And when you look at mountains like that, and then you hear Isaiah 40, you know where the description is that God's going to raise up every valley and bring down every mountain. Beautiful poetic language. The reason being so that you can see the glory of the Lord. I, I sometimes think of it in my mind that there's a song that I like that says, one of the lines is, and I am home anywhere if you are where I am. I've never been further away from home than I was in the past couple weeks. I've never been apart from Jen for that long. I'm just not someone who has had those kinds of long trips. I've never been more like away from home. But in your faith, you know dwell in the house of the Lord. And you're confronted with things on a trip like that that are so other than your faith. You'll hear again, people talk about some of these experiences. Going to a place, Pashupati it's called, uh, which is one of the three sacred sites for Hindus in the world. So some of you have seen, there's two in India and one in Nepal, one in Kathmandu. And these are places where there's a river, one of them is on the Ganges, and they have what's called a ghat there, a number of them, and they will cremate bodies there, right there. And, you know, years ago, they sometimes the wife would jump on the funeral pyre of the husband or the 
But we saw some of these things happening. And we could go pretty far into this into this complex, this temple complex, and there's cows walking around everywhere, and there's monkeys everywhere, and just masses of people. And you walk up to the to the end of it, and then where we can't go in because only Hindus can go in there, it's it is striking. I remember Heather telling me about it some time ago, because there is just this absolutely giant golden calf inside this circular room, and you go and you they go and walk around this. Not only far away from home geographically and with these scenes of grandeur, but far away from home in terms of some of those expressions of faith in the world that are not expressions of Christian faith. And what it means that, and one of the things that Karina was telling us in Daniel 2 was, in this, when we were there, was how this faith you have to earn everything. It's just constant appeasement. And a lot of the pressure is put on the women. I think that's probably true in a lot of cultures. But And so you're, you see these things, and it can be really striking. It can be really troubling even in some ways. But then you're reminded that our faith in Jesus Christ declares that he has done it all for us. And I am home anywhere if you are where I am. And it made me think of a quote that I came across when I think of that our Christian faith says that Jesus Christ has given his life for the life of everyone in the world. Everyone. This quote is that God's almightiness is not an abstract idea such as we often imagine when we say, God can do everything. Ever said that before? We fall then into ridiculous riddles like, can God lie? Now you're in a riddle, right? And so on. These absurdities originate in a false beginning. God's almightiness should only be considered in the exercise of the almightiness that is revealed in Jesus Christ. When we turn Christian faith, and I felt this when I was in this place, I mean, obviously I feel other than this other religion, But I didn't feel threatened by it. I didn't feel afraid. But I did feel a bit of a struggle that sometimes we turn Christian religion into something that you earn your way to God by moral achievement. And we shouldn't do that. Or by some spiritual appeasement. The almightiness of God is found in Jesus Christ. And finally, the glory of God is found in Jesus Christ. And there was a lot of seeing this glory on this trip. So many stories, and, you know, I've been on a plane for, feels like six and a half days. So I won't remember them or tell them well. And I'll sit down in a few minutes, and I'll be like, oh, I messed that up. But, because for me, it's just scenes and pictures, right? So one is, and you've seen pictures of these places, but one is what they call the street kitchen. This is kind of the front door of the Himalayan life ministry in Pokhara. We only saw a fraction of what Himalayan life does, and we were in in many places. But the street kitchen is where the street kids come and have their first point of contact. They get a meal, they play games, they sing songs, and then they're sent back out. 
but it's some of these street kids who eventually move into the shelter. So our first, our very first interaction with Himalayan life, we got there in an evening to the site in Pokhara, and they all greeted us, and they put on a little drama for us, and a little dance, and so these boys are acting out a street scene of a, of a kid, like, sniffing glue, they call it, that's just breathing in glue, just to, it's just drugs to get high. So, but these people now had been living in the shelter for some time, and they had really begun to get their lives together. But they came through the street kitchen. And those of you who have done this kind of work before, it's great work. You, you walk in, and the kids are actually at the very beginning, because some of them have been just, you know, ingesting that glue. They're kind of out of it for a little bit, but then they get really comfortable with you, and they just play with you. Some are really young, some aren't. And then it just is this wonderful, wonderful experience. And it's, in, it's interesting that it's in times like that that you begin to see the glory of God, not only in things like the mountains. For me, one of the most striking things, and it, it wouldn't be for everybody, because it's in a way it's the most institutional of a lot of things we saw, that's the plastics factory, the recycling plant. And it, it's a big recycling plant with millions of bottles. You go there and there's like this mountain of, of bottles. And it's, it's, a, it's just this machinery everywhere that takes the bottles and turns them into one thing and then finally into pellets that can be used. And It's a whole huge process. But the, the staff there, the people working there, are some of the people who, in some cases, had come through the street kitchen first. And then the shelter, some of them still living at the shelter, but now employed at the plastics factory. That became, for me, overwhelming. Because I walked around that plastics factory, and I looked at somebody who is now working and earning an income, and one word stood out in my mind, dignity. Himalayan life is granting people their rightful dignity as someone created in the image of God. That's glory. It's beautiful. These are reminders of glory. The fullness of Jesus Christ. So, all of that to say, you got to process it, right? <laughs> Have to, and obviously... I haven't had time to process it all. The trek. One morning on the trek, uh, we were scheduled to go to church. They, they go to church on Saturdays there. And church was going to be 10 o'clock on a Saturday, and you had to walk up a mini grouse grind to get there. These little villages. You, Larry, or you, Larry. Remember the first time I heard the words you, Larry? It was in, Heather, you were giving an update downstairs. And I just kept looking at Larry Orr because I kept thinking that you were saying, and you, Larry, but it's like the name of a place. But <laughs> And you have to climb like a couple grouse grinds to get there. Or something like that. We took a bit of a shorter way. But I pictured that you would climb this thing, and I, that was good. I was into the climbing part. And then you'd get to a plateau, and there'd be a little village there, right? That's not what it's like at all. You climb this thing, and on the side of the mountain like this, there's a village. And place to place, you go up and down stairs, and you go. Well, the church was about a five-minute walk up, you know, a little mini 
was crying to get to church. And we were getting ready to go to church. And so I guess I was still in my room. And somebody came, I think Daniel maybe, and said, you need to come and see something. And I was like, great. And uh-oh, what's it going to be? And hoping something's not wrong with the team or something. Well, what it was, was I went outside. And right outside of our guest house there, our hotel, so-called, with a lovely shower, um, <laughs> Right outside there. Like you could see it from where we sat and and ate and had our milk tea on the top roof there. Right outside our hotel, they were doing animal sacrifices. They were cutting the heads off goats and chickens and sacrificing these as religious. And we got to observe it. Stuart Orr has a great video of it if you're so inclined. Um, It's really good because you can't see the goat. And that's all I'll say. But all of this, to process it all, I do these things then, and I invite you to do the same. What does it mean to become less, not more? What does it mean in this world to know that we often become too comfortable in our lives and that it's times when we're woken up by whatever thing, something difficult happening in our lives, a trip like this to realize that we are home anywhere if our Lord is where we are. And he is there. And to hear the cry of the human heart at the same time, as these people are participating in this religious ceremony with these animals, not to be afraid of them, not to think, you know, but to think, what is it that they are longing for? And what is it that they're being told that they're receiving? So I'll pray. But in the end, I'll know that the glory of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The mountains are brought down and the valleys are raised up so that we can see God's glory. It's a remarkable place and a remarkable trip. We'll tell you lots about it. Thank you so very much for indulging us in this trip, in your financial support, in your prayer support. We're all back. Well, Rick and Edward aren't back yet, but they're fine. We saw their picture on Facebook today. We're back. We're healthy. A couple colds and stuff, but nothing. We were kept safe, and we had the experience of a lifetime. And we'll seek to live this for the glory of God. You do the same. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for our church. We're so blessed to live where we do. Help us to know what it means to become less so that we can show this faith of ours. Help us to know what it means to reach out to those in need. And I know it's been prayed from the front here often, but now having been, I want to thank you for the work of Himalayan life and for Daniel and Karina and the tremendous sacrifice that they have made and continue to make and the great leaders that they were for us. And would you bless that work? Would you be with Chan Mon right now? We told him we'd pray for him and all those people that we met. And would you bring our churches together in glorifying you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ's name.
Amen.